0: Okay, good morning everyone. If you have a Bible with you, uh, could you please turn to Matthew's Gospel chapter oh hang on, chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible with you then don't worry, you'll be able to follow the different uh, Bible verses that we look at uh, on the screen above the stage. You can follow there if you like. Uh, this morning. We're going to spend a little bit of time just on a couple of verses in Matthew chapter 11. Reading just a few verses from verse 28 with Jesus speaking. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy easy and my burden is light. Those are the verses that we're going to be looking at this morning, and an absolutely amazing and wonderful invitation from Jesus. And uh, there's going to be an opportunity, when this, when this message concludes, we're going to stand again, we'll worship, and uh, there's some space up the front, we can even make more space if we need to, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to that amazing invitation. You might not be old enough to quite reach the door handle of your bedroom or tie your own shoelaces, but you are old enough to hear what Jesus is saying uh, to you this morning if you're really young, if you're older, if you've never really done this before on a Sunday, you don't do church typically, but you're here this morning and uh, the Christian faith seems a bit distant and uh, maybe irrelevant. Well, you're gonna hear Jesus' invitation to you. And I'm going to invite you to make that response because it could just change your life. And if you've been a believer for years and years uh, and following Jesus faithfully, this invitation uh, is for you as well. And there may be some way in which you uh, need to respond or want to respond on the back of what we, uh, we look at this morning. It's an amazing invitation because of who Jesus is is inviting. He's saying to me, come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are burdened, all you who are done in, all you who are heavy laden. Jesus, that's who Jesus is is welcoming. That's who Jesus is asking. Notice that he's not saying, come to me, all you who are strong and able. I could really do with you on my team. It's not saying, come to me, all you high capacity, exceptional people. I could probably make room for you in the kingdom that I'm building. It could really do with your skills and your abilities. It's very different from the X Men. Any fans of the X Men? I see that hand. I see that hand. Um, I, I've kind of lost track of how many films and how many different characters there are, but I kind of get the, the basic gist. There's this really cool guy. Uh, as Patrick Stewart or Charles Xavier. Uh, and, and what he has is this amazing school, this school for the is it the gifted and talented? Yeah? And if he, when he finds someone with a really, really special ability, they're probably really misunderstood. But they can disappear and reappear in another place. Or they can turn into a blue beast and beat anybody. Or their body always regenerates. So even if they get injured instantly they're healed, and they live forever. You know, there's a lot of amazing abilities. He's can say, yeah, come come and be part of my, my thing. Come and be part of my school. Come and be part of what I'm doing. You can probably fit in. Uh, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't say, come to me, all you who are really impressive, with special powers. He says, come to me, all you who are weary. He's not saying, come to me because I need you. He's saying, come to me because you need me. That's, the, that's why this... Uh, this invitation is amazing, he's call, he calls the weary and the burdens, you know what, he knows our limitations, he's got no illusions about us, he's not, not going to uh, become disillusioned about us in the future because he was never illusioned in the first place, he knows, he knows what we're made of, he knows that we're dust that God has breathed into, he knows that we can be frail, he knows that we can be weak, he knows that we can get hard pressed. The Bible is very realistic about what it means to be human. He understands, understands us. He made us in the first place. In the Psalms it says that he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we're kind of like, I'm, I'm on top of the world right now. I could do anything. I feel so incredible. I'm so excited. I'm so energized. I'm so ready. I'm going to do this. And it's like, Lord! What's happened to me? I've got a head cold in September. The new term has really wiped me out. And we can, we can go from that, can't we? We're, we're doing well. Everything's going smoothly. We're in control, and we, we've got energy for the day. And the next moment, we're, we're kind of just a bit done in, um, a bit wrecked. You know, in the Bible, in Isaiah chapter 40, it says that, that, God says, look, I'm the everlasting one. I give strength to the weary. Even youths grow tired and weary. Even young men. So that sense of even the kids in the playground who get picked first for the sports team. They get weary. They're made out of dust. They're not always well, they're not at all superhuman. They might just be slightly better at football or netball or something. Um, So even a couple of bad nights sleep and we can be a real grouch. And God understands what we're like. He understands how we're made. And he says, come come to me, you who are uh, weary and heavy laden. Sometimes life on planet Earth is just wearying. We get tired. There's things in life that we can't control. They take us by surprise. And suddenly, we're aware of our limitations if we weren't already. Jesus makes this amazing invitation to the, the weary. And he says, come to me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. He's not, come to me, I'm going to crack the whip over your life. He's not piling on the pressure. He's not saying you've got to be, you've be more impressive than you are. He's saying, come to me, learn from me. I'm humble, I'm gentle. And then it's an amazing invitation because it's an amazing promise. I will give you rest. You will, come to me, you will find rest for your souls. Now, this reflects God's heart, his care, his compassion, and especially his compassion for those who are burdened. And we know that, we see it uh, all the way through God's story, we see it all the way through the Bible. We see uh, a people living in Egypt, the Israelites, who are hard pressed, they are oppressed, they're, they're being, they've got slave drivers, there's a Pharaoh who's making their life a misery. And God speaks to Moses and says, I've heard their cry, they're miserable, they're oppressed. And I'm going to go and rescue them. And that's why I'm sending you. You could look in, if you have the Bible and you wanted to turn to Exodus chapter 6. And verse 6, in speaking to Moses, God says, in Exodus 6, verse 6, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I'll bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I'll free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. They were, they were yoked, they were enslaved, they were having to carry Heavy burdens, that's what a yoke would be used for. Actually, in some ways, it's a helpful tool, if not too much is put into it. Something that goes across the neck, and then it can help you carry some weight. But they were hard-pressed. The yoke of the Egyptians was heavy upon them. So God went to rescue them. And God did do that. He brought them out from a land of slavery, where they were captive, and he's going to take them into a promised land. He says, you're going to be my people. And then he gives them his laws. And we know, uh, we'd be familiar, won't we, with the, with the Ten Commandments. And the, the Fifth Commandment, just a, few, uh, a little bit later on in, in Exodus, chapter 20, the, uh, that's one place where the Ten Commandments uh, are recorded. And if you go to the Fifth Commandment, Exodus 20, verse 8, we read this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservants or maidservants, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So there's these ten commandments and halfway through, number five, God says, I command you to have a break. I command you to rest. I command you on, that, on one day of the week, you don't do any work. He wants the whole world to see that he's very different from that Pharaoh cracking the whip, making them work harder, driving them never giving them a break. There's always more. Their performance targets got bigger and bigger and it became more and more unrealistic to meet them. But that was all they could do. They just had to try and press on somehow. God says, no, no, no my kingdom's very different. Every six days, a day off, complete rest. Um, not only that, but when, he's, taking, he's, when he, he's talking about going into the promised land, when you get there, actually the, the land itself needs to rest every seven years. On the seventh year, you don't work the ground. I'll make sure that the sixth year produces enough for you. Not just for the sixth year, but the seventh year and the eighth year. Because in the seventh year, the land has a break. And then every seven sevens, after 49 years, in the fiftieth year, there'd be this year of Jubilee. And then everybody in God's kingdom would be able to return to their original family land, their original family property. What's the, what's the point? What's God saying all the way through? Is in my kingdom, no one's going to fall through the cracks. In my kingdom, no one's going to become kind of permanently enslaved and oppressed and hard done by. In my kingdom, people are going to be rested. In my kingdom, the land's going to be fruitful because it has the chance to rest. Totally uh, different from what they'd experienced before uh, in Egypt. And now here, back in Matthew, Jesus has strong words for the teachers of the law. Now, why is that? The law was there to, to bless them, to help them, to lead them, to show them what God's like, to show them how they should be. Have a day of rest. Now he's, he's talking to them, saying, the, the, the people are, are weary and burdened. Why was that? Well, the law can never change anyone's heart in any case. But also, the teachers of the law have started to burden the people. Um, let me just give you something that Je- a few things that Jesus uh, said to them and about them. So in Luke chapter 11 and verse 46... He says to them there, uh, he's he's judging the the leaders of his day. And it says in verse 45, one of the experts in the law answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, and you, experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. That's what spiritual life, religious life was like at the time of people just being burdened by rules upon rules, traditions upon the law. And so uh, you can read on in, in, in Matthew chapter 12 and you see what Jesus does on the Sabbath. His disciples are just a bit hungry. They just take a few grains from the field and the Pharisees are onto them like a hawk. You're not supposed to do that on a day of rest. You're breaking the Sabbath. They're just a little bit hungry. It's not that hard work. They're just giving themselves something to eat and a little bit later on when jesus in the, on the sabbath on the day of rest is in the synagogue sees a man with a shriveled hand and they know that he can heal and so they're just watching arms folded probably what's he going to do and jesus says what's what's the right thing to do to do good or to do harm look you'd, you'd rescue a sheep on the sabbath day if it'd fallen into a hole i'm going to do good on the sabbath and he says to the man stretch out your hands And it's healed. But all this weight, all this pressure, all this religion pressing people people down. They're misrepresenting God. They're making him out to be more like that Pharaoh back in the older days. Now, true rest is found in Jesus. True rest is found as we respond to that invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. You might be thinking, well, rest from what? Surely, rest, if I need to rest, I just get an early night. And sometimes that ticks the box. That's all that's necessary. Have some good food, get an early night, get some more sleep. Don't always push through. But that, well, that's fairly simple, isn't it? I don't need to come to Jesus, I need to go to bed. That's straightforward. Well, weariness and the need for rest can and often do run a whole lot deeper than that. It can be a much deeper issue that goes right down into our hearts and goes right down into what we believe is true and what we believe about life, what we believe we're supposed to do with our life. And, uh, and maybe if you're already a believer, you think, well, how are you supposed to honour God? So let me tell you a few things that Jesus gives us rest from. A few burdens that are lifted When we come to Jesus in faith. I got four. If I get really carried away, I'll trim it down to three. Whistle stop tour. Four things that Jesus gives us rest from. Four, Four burdens or four pressures that he lifts off of our shoulders, off of our hearts as well. Firstly, the pressure... ...to prove ourselves. Coming to Jesus, coming to the Lord... ...who is gentle and humble in heart... ...lifts off the pressure to prove ourselves. Because we can get weary because we believe the lie. I need to prove myself. I need to show uh, my worth. I need to constantly improve. And I need other people to see that. So if we're living under that lie... We might only feel good about ourselves when we're busy. Even sometimes, though, if we're complaining about how busy we are. Oh, you wouldn't believe how much is going on for me. Because kind of what it does is subtly give the message to people who might be listening. The reason I'm busy is because I'm important. So I I must be important. So you must admire me for my busyness. Oh, so much going on right now. You wouldn't believe it, but I'll soldier through. We kind of want others to notice our achievements because we believe it's what we achieve, it's what we do that makes us special. Do you know what that leads to? That leads to a restless life with no peace, because we're constantly striving for other people to approve of us, or we're constantly hoping that people will realise we're a cut above, We're, we're a bit above what other people manage. We have got that higher capacity, we've got bigger gifts, we've got more accomplishments, we've got better grades, we've got more money in the bank because we've got a better job, we're pretty awesome, that can be a pressure we're trying to live to. And the problem is, whatever we might manage to do, it's never enough, never satisfies that doubt. Always got to try and do more, always try and got to stay ahead of the competition, just pressure, pressure, pressure. You know what, the gospel... Sets us free from the pressure of trying to prove ourselves because God is our Savior. I don't have to save myself, don't have to prove myself, don't have to atone for my sin. I have a Savior. If you were to turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 11, often as we've seen when richard has been preaching through Hebrews, we've seen the, the contrast between the old religion, the old priesthood of the old covenant and the new way, the new covenant, a covenant of grace and of the Spirit of God that is opened up through Jesus and all that Jesus has done. There's a contrast all the way through. And so in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, it says there, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins you might be thinking well this is i I can't relate to priests and temples and sacrifices what is it talking about well well notice what it was saying the priests could never rest in a sense there was always more to be done one sacrifice was never enough It's emphasized day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. We might be thinking, well, I don't live a particularly religious life. But if we're experiencing the pressure to prove ourselves, it can lead to a lifestyle that's very similar. Day after day. It's relentless. It's never enough. I've always got to do more. I've always got to try harder. Got to make another sacrifice. Got to push through again. Got to prove myself. And it's wearying. The gospel sets us free as we read on. Speaking of Jesus in the very next verse. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. One sacrifice for all time. And this priest, Jesus, sits down. Why does he sit down? Because the job's done. The work is done. When Jesus uh, was was dying on the cross, what did he say in a loud voice? It is finished. Right there. We don't have to prove ourselves anymore. We don't have to try and gain or win approval from God or from anybody else because of what Jesus has done, we're set free. We're set free. If we receive him, if we receive that forgiveness, if we receive this uh, good news in him, it doesn't mean, oh, we'll just become lazy. Oh, I don't need to prove myself. So I sit back, I don't do anything. I don't serve anyone. I don't work hard. I don't do anything at all. Why? Well, I'm just waiting. Nothing needs to be done now. No, it's it's not that it leads to to laziness, if we've received this good news um, we'll work we'll work hard no more than six days a week Um, but now that work is no longer wearying because we're no longer striving because our it's not where our value it's not where our worth it's not where our identity comes from it's who am I? we're asking ourselves so many times through life who am I? Well, if we receive Jesus' invitation, we come to him, what we say is, I am a child of God. I'm justified. I'm free from that pressure. I'm free from having to try to prove myself the whole time. I'm his disciple and I'm trusting him. So it relieves us from that, the pressure to prove ourselves. Also relieves us from the pressure to meet other people's expectations. We can get weary in life because we believe the lie, I must meet other people's expectations. I have to do what they expect of me. Um, That way of thinking means we're basically scared. We're afraid of what others think. So we're constantly trying to impress. We may be doing more than God has asked us to because we're prone to overcommit. I just can't say no to people. Have to, I kind of have to say yes. What will they think? And we are more worried, basically, about what people think than what God thinks. But it's what God thinks that matters. So the gospel, again, it sets us free. Why? Well, when we come to Jesus, the weary and burdened, we're saying, Lord, I'm not my own master. And in a sense, no one else is my master. God, you're my master. It's, it's what you say that matters, it's what you want in life that's important. And so lots of lots of things that we might fear. We might fear what people think. We might fear not being thought well of. We might fear people rejecting us. We might fear people insulting us and just thinking, well, you're not. You're not that kid in the playground who gets picked straight away or at all kind of just fearing other people's reaction. Well, that fear gets replaced when we meet with God and we start to fear him. So The Lord says, who are you going to compare me to? I'm the everlasting one. You're the kind of guys who just get weary. I'm different. I'll give you rest because I'm your master. And so we're no longer, we'll still serve people. It doesn't make us harsh. Well, I'm learning to say no now i mean, really say it to you loudly. How dare you? We're not getting nasty with people. Um. We'll still serve. We'll still help. We'll still seek to encourage and so on. We'll still sometimes put ourselves out for others. But we're not just trying to do whatever it takes to make everybody else happy. We're doing what it takes to make God happy and to please him. That releases us. That unburdens us. We're choosing to please God. And so, yeah, on occasion we're able to say no. Even if someone might be a bit disappointed. It doesn't rock us. It doesn't shake us to the core. Because we're living to a different master now. So it blesses us in that way. The gospel blesses us. Jesus blesses us when we come to him. For the third reason, because it relieves us of that pressure to try and stay in control. We can get weary in life because we believe the lie. I have to stay in control. I have to try to be on top of everything. I have to try and solve every problem. Success or failure is basically all down to me. And the way of, if we believe that, then we're just getting, we're gonna get restless, we're gonna get weary, we're gonna get burdened. We just can't switch off. Even if we want to, there's just so much to think about. It's difficult, you know, we turn the light off, we, we go to bed a bit later than we maybe should have done, and we're thinking, oh, I better get up early because there's so much to do, I've just got to do everything. No one else is gonna help, it's all down to me, and, we can try and burn the candle at both ends. I'll, I, I'll go to bed late, I better get up early. Because I've got to stay in control. I've got, you know, things get out of hand if I don't. And we can spiritualise the problem. Those of us who've been following Jesus for years can kind of put a superstitious slant on just spending time privately, personally with God. Well, I better get up at that time because the day always goes wrong if I don't spend a certain amount of time reading the Bible and a certain amount of time praying. Now I'm not trying to dissuade anyone from thinking I'm going to spend some time personally in worship and prayer and reading the Bible and so on. But it's not as a superstition. We don't know what Jesus' daily routine was. I don't think every day was the same. I'm sure there were days when he got up early. We know that, don't we? Jesus, Jesus got up early and he went out to a lonely place to pray and seek God. The disciples don't know where he is. They're like, I'm trying to find Jesus. Where have you gone? Where have you gone? Everybody's looking for you. You know, all those people that you healed yesterday at that spontaneous revival, well, they've come back and they've brought all their mates. Everyone, you need to come. People expect you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, I'm spending time with my Heavenly Father and I've heard from Him what I should be doing. It's time to move on. We're going to another town. We're going to another village. And so I'm sure for Jesus there were times of, in, of intense activity and busyness. And there were times when He got away, got away from the crowd. I'm sure there are days when He got up really, really early. We know there were nights when He prayed all the way through the night. But I, I would reckon there were times when He didn't do that. Not living life by just a, a a heavy rule this is what you have if you're a Christian, you have to do if you 're a christian you 're going to want to spend time in god 's word and you 're going to want to pray and therefore sometimes you're going to want to discipline yourself and kind of work out a pattern in life that works for you that might change through time. sometimes we get under pressure because we 're always trying to kind of Stay doing something that worked really well in the past. And God might be saying, that's different now. Why don't you pray in your lunch break? It doesn't have to always be the same pattern. But sometimes we can get into that way of thinking, I've, 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 got, to, I've got to sort everything out. I better pray because I'm worried about so much. And then when we are praying, it's just worried thoughts. Oh, God, and there's this. And oh, God, there's something else. And there's, oh, God, no. Oh. So having got up early, made ourselves really tired and whinged at God for a little while, we start a day still weary and depressed. The gospel sets us free from the pressure to try and be in control and be on top of everything. Because the truth is that God is our provider. We know that on quite a few different occasions, uh, Jesus taught his disciples saying, do not worry, do not worry about your life. And one of them is in Luke chapter 12, you can look at that later. And and Jesus says, look at the birds. Consider them. They don't sow, they're not like cultivating the ground, they're not getting the watering can out, making sure that everything grows. But God does provide for them, and they 're able to eat. How much more valuable are you to the Lord? Is He not going to provide for you? Consider the grass, have a look when you 're walking home later, look at the grass. Look at the flowers. Oh, i 'm not really sure how many flowers there are around in September, but anyway, look, look at what 's growing. Look at the beauty of god 's creation. Oh, it's It's there for a moment, then it's gone. Look how God clothes the grass of the fields and flowers. They're more glorious than Solomon. They're more beautiful than the most wonderful king or queen, the most wealthy person. Uh, Is the Lord not going to provide for you? Now, that doesn't mean everything... God is my provider, there's nothing to worry about uh, and therefore everything will go according to my plan. Everything's going to work out fine. It doesn't mean everything's going to work out according to our best wishes. It means God's going to be there, God's going to help us, God's going to lead us through when our plans work and God's going to help us and provide for us and lead us through and be available for us when they don't. I was reading this week um, this kind of very brief testimony on this subject, a book by Tim Chester. Uh, Things may not turn out the way you want, but they they will turn out for your good, Tim writes. A widow raised a large family, a widow, including 12 adopted children, 12, and through it all managed to maintain stability. A newspaper reporter asked her how she managed. She replied, because I'm in a partnership, many years ago, I said, Lord, I'll do the work, and you do the worrying. I think, wow. I'll do the work, you do the worrying. It's not laziness. It's not everything's going to be brilliant. I'm sure raising 12 adopted children as a widow had some challenges along the way, had some scary moments or some some times of uncertainty and when plans didn't quite work out. So well, I'm going to commit myself to what I'm responsible to do before God. I'm going to trust you with all the things I can't control. I'm going to obey you in the things I should be doing. But I'm going to trust the results to you, Lord. I'm going to pray, but I'm not going to worry because I've got a God who is my provider. Let me give you, me give you one more burden. Uh, let me re- add to that quickly. Uh, let me give you one more burden that the gospel relieves us. The gospel gives us rest from the pressure to live life to the max. Sometimes we are weary because we believe a lie. I must make the most out of my life. That's why I came to Sheffield. You might be thinking, that's why I'm here at university. That's why I'm studying so hard. That's why I'm doing astrophysics with something else or whatever it might be. I want to make something of my life. I want to make the most out of my life. Um, My my school uh, had a a, a motto and I think every school motto is basically this. Maybe there's some variation. It was something about turning potential into reality. It's like being the best that you can be. Fantastic. I wonder if I went back to school now what they would think. Have I done it? (laughs) I don't know. We can live under a pressure. We can be under a pressure to want to experience everything that this life has to offer and we can live under a pressure that I must make my mark on the world. When I'm gone, I want people to know I've really, really made a massive difference. And so I've got to squeeze everything into life that I possibly can. And it's like, I've got to be the most amazing, awesome Christian. I've also got to be the most amazing and awesome employee. I've got to be the most amazing and awesome parent. I've got to be the most amazing and awesome athlete. And so in every area of responsibility, I have to run 100 miles an hour, 100% of the time. Because I'm kind of under pressure to live life to the max. And what that can lead to is overcommitting. Some people can't say no. Some people can't say yes. It's like I, I say, I kind of, I'm still there, I say yes to everything. I overcommit. I've got to be I've got to be involved cuz I don't want to miss out. Or maybe it's actually not overcommitting but kind of flighty. Well I said yes to that, but now something better's come along. I could serve God in this way but that's now been trumped by this other possibility. So, sorry, that's gone, I've got to move over here because this is more exciting, this is more impressive. This will help me turn my potential into reality. This will help me fulfill my call in God. Oh, hang on a minute, no, it's something else. Wait a minute, it's over here. And we're just dashing around from pillar to post because we can't stand being ordinary. Or it could be that living with that pressure just brings sadness. I feel the pressure to live life to the max, but I can't do 100 miles an hour in one direction. I haven't got it in me, and I and I can't experience that, and I can't fulfil that. A survey was done asking people, "What do you want to do before you die?" This is like the bucket list question, and. Uh, I guess there were a few options, probably, that people ticked. But something like 37% of people said that before they die, they want to swim with dolphins. 37%. Imagine if that's, like, a true across this room. That's a whole lot of people who are going to be really disappointed, isn't it? I mean, I'd love to see the Earth from space. But working for a church ain't going to give me the salary to go up in there. It's, like it's just never going to happen. You, know, you might get to see the northern lights. or You, you might go to the Kalahari Desert. You, you might have some real amazing adventures. But sometimes we get weary because we tra- we're just chasing lots of dreams. And we're kind of trying to squeeze too much into one life. You know what? I'm not trying to experience everything this life has to offer. Can I tell you why? I want to experience everything that the next life has to offer. If you don't go traveling the world, don't worry about it. If you come to Jesus and you give your life to him, you are going to have eternity with an awesome body. I'm sorry, I'm, uh, one day I will have that. Uh, <laughs> you will have... <laughs> you will have your very own See me later. Uh, you will have your very own awesome body that doesn't need, that doesn't kind of like fall apart. You won't get a head cold. You won't, you won't get fatigue. And you can travel a new heavens and a new earth in the presence of God. And everybody on planet Earth who's ever put their trust in Him. Doesn't that put into perspective what tomorrow might involve? I might be in the queue for Aldi. I, I might be kind of going to the tip. I, I might be doing something mundane. And I can do the mundane, ordinary things with a joy rather than a weariness. Because I know... I've been given eternal rest and the Lord will lead me but I don't have to kind of go down every possible avenue and jump around hoping to make make something of my life. I'm just going to trust that the Lord's going to lead me on one path and that will mean some satisfaction for me and some glory glory for him I pray as well. Are you living in the light's of eternity? Are you living in the light of eternal rest? Nothing else on planet earth can say, come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest for your soul. It, it's not that your bed, come to me, says your bed. I'll give you rest. It's not going to satisfy your soul. It's not going to take you to glory. Come to me, I'll just, says the bottle. I'll just, have, I'll just have one more drink. I'll just have another glass. It's been such a grim day. I just need it to unwind. This is what I do to relax. I have a bit too much to drink. That's never gonna help. That's not gonna refresh your soul. That's not gonna bring you great satisfaction. Just one more click. Come to me. I'm weary. There we go. Just another hour on the internet. Another video game. Another mile running around the block they're not wrong they're just not going to satisfy you they're not going to give us rest rest in that sense true rest eternal rest is only found in Jesus do you believe that? are you a believer? do you trust him? is he your saviour? is he your master? is he your provider? And is he your hope? Your hope for a glorious future? If he is, today, as we pray and respond, a weariness is going to come off of your heart. A weariness to prove yourself. A weariness of trying to be in control and live life to the max. God's going to lead you. You're going to bear much fruit for him. And the best bit about it is you get to be with him in partnership with the Lord. I made a deal. You going to make a deal today? I made a deal years ago. I'm going to trust you, Jesus. I'm going to follow you. Come what may. The things I can't control, the stuff that goes wrong, I'm still going to trust you, Lord. I still trust that you're going to provide and you're going to do me good and I want to honor you. You're my master.